Good afternoon. You're unmuted. Good afternoon. The meeting will come to order. Welcome to the May 24, 2023 meeting of the Budget and Appropriation Committee. I am Supervisor Connie Chan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Supervisors Hillary Ronan and Shaman Walton, hopefully shortly by Vice Chair Rafael Mendelman and Supervisor Asha Safayi. Our clerk is Brent Halipa. I would like to thank um, Suze Yinos from TV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcement? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder for those in attendance to please make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices as to not interrupt our proceedings here in the chamber. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. Public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we will take those waiting on the telephone line. Uh, for those watching remotely and streaming through sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. And when connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up in public comment, it's called. Those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone should dial star three to also be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using, and each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Alternatively, you may submit public comment and writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Appropriations Committee Clerk, at brent .jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And thank you, Madam Chair. That concludes my announcements. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And um, before we begin, I would like to also um, state that we are limiting public comments uh, in this co uh, committee to one minute as well. Thank you. And uh, please call item number one. Yes, item number one is a hearing to receive updates on the nine-month budget uh, status report for fiscal year 2022 to 2023. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this hearing should call 415-655-0001. Today's meeting ID is 2595-765-9214. Then press pound twice, and if you haven't already done so, please dial star three line up to speak. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and, and please wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and you may begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And today we have Carol Liu, Citywide Revenue Manager from the Controller's Office. Thank you so much for being here. Carol Liu, Citywide Revenue Manager. Thanks for the opportunity to speak to the nine-month update. Cool. Um, on the next slide, these are the high-level results, um, which I'll speaking to in a bit more detail. Um, we project ending balance of $209.3 million of general fund fund balance above what was previously budgeted last year. This is a $36.3 million improvement from the March forecast. Um, on the next slide, um, if we apply this fund balance to the projected two-year budget shortfall, it reduces the deficit from $780 million to $744 million over the two-year budget period. Um, revenue is overall below budget, but better than previously forecasted, and the news is mixed. Um, departments had savings um, over budget, and it was better than previously forecasted. 
Two things um, are driving that first, or two major things to highlight. First, in the Department of Public Health, the shortfall was largely due to Laguna Honda Hospital revenue shortfall um, due to their declining patient census, but that will be filled by the, the Public Health Management Reserve. Um, and then the second major thing is the Human Services Agency had savings that were offset by $26 million to pay for repairs and demobilization uh, costs at SIP hotels. So this slide shows a table of various uh, citywide general fund revenue forecasts over time. The two rightmost columns show the changes from budget as well as change from prior projection. Um, the major highlights, uh, just going down the table, um, property tax assumes additional supplementals and escapes as well as growth and assessed values based on year-to-date actuals. Business tax is weak relative to budget and prior forecasts based on tax filing information and cash receipts we've seen to date. Um, this weakness is also reflected in the commercial rents tax transfer in on the last line, as well as the homelessness gross receipts tax, which is not shown in this table. The hospitality sector continues to rebound faster than we expected, um, and that's reflected in strength in hotel tax, as well as the airport uh, transfer in, which is just a percentage of airport concessions. Transfer tax is very, very weak. Um, we closed last year uh, with $520 million of transfer tax. This year, we budgeted $390 million, and we're now forecasting $174 million for a reduction of $216 million. With rising interest rates and work-from-home trends, the transfers of residential properties have fallen steeply, and commercial properties are really are barely transacting. The overpaid executives tax is a new tax on businesses, and cash receipts and filings here have come in stronger than expected. Um, interest income is expected to triple last year's actuals. With rising interest rates, the earnings yield in the city's pooled funds portfolio have risen. And finally, FEMA reimbursements were originally budgeted at $243 million, but we expect uh, only $23.4 million, a reduction of $220 million. This is largely a timing issue. FEMA has been shifting its focus on reviewing claims from other jurisdictions who have not yet been reimbursed, and we still expect reimbursements in future years. So overall, revenue is a $26 million improvement from our prior projection, but that's still $30 million below budget. On the next slide, um, this graph shows what transfer tax would have been had the current rates been in existence starting in 2000 to 2001. So the orange shows revenue from transfers over $25 million, and blue is revenue from transfers less than $25 million. And as you can see in that last year, the current year is expected to plummet to levels um, that we haven't seen since 0304 or 0910, with declines in both the orange and the blue, small and large transactions. Um, and this kind of just goes to the point that transfer tax is a really highly volatile source. On the next slide, we turn to departmental results. Um, we divide them up into two groups, net surplus and net shortfall departments. And this table shows the net shortfall departments. Um, at the six-month mark, the police department was the main shortfall department due to projected overtime overspending. And the Board of Supervisors approved a $27 million supplemental to solve that problem. So that's not here on this table anymore. Um, now the main departmental shortfalls are associated with revenue. 
And so just focusing on the top two departments, um, the first, the Department of Public Health shortfall, as I mentioned before, is related to Laguna Honda Hospital revenue, which is below budget due to shrinking patient census. The $6.9 million of public health management reserve will be used to make up for that net shortfall. At city planning, the second department, the revenue shortfall of $8.3 million is driven by fewer large projects across the city. And as a result, conditional use exemption, building permit, building permit alteration fees are short from budget. In the next table, um, we show the net surplus departments. So the top three departments, um, the first, General City Responsibilities. This is a department that the controller's office administers on behalf of the city, and it holds all of the things that no one department is responsible for, um, including the un unallocated tax revenue, baseline transfers, reserves, as well as some uh, unallocated expenditures. The savings of 14.3 million are due to unbudgeted revenue, savings in retiree health subsidies, savings in transfers out to support hotel tax dependent funds because hotel tax is expected to now outperform budget and work order savings. Uh, the second department, the fire department, is expecting to receive a supplemental reimbursement of $5 million for the prior four fiscal years of, for medical calls, um, as well as higher than budgeted EMS fees, and that results in a surplus of $7.8 million. The Human Service Agency has a net surplus, um, and even after assuming $26 million will be set aside for potential settlement payments related to the SIP program. Um, then, kind of going down that table, as you can see, the rest of the departments have significant expenditure savings, largely um, in salaries and benefits, and that's likely related, that's related to the vacancies in the city. Um, so finally, on the next slide, um, as always, there are risks and uncertainties to any forecast. Um, the first kind of major thing to highlight is uh, approval of additional supplemental appropriations using the general reserve would result in um, uh, the need to replenish the reserve in the next year. Um, it also changed the forecast in this year. Um, and the second major uncertain risk area is with business tax. Um, with the changing nature of office work, um, it allows businesses to attribute less of their gross receipts to San Francisco. And we're still kind of in this transitional moment. Um, as of the nine-month forecast, um, we hadn't incorporated all of the tax filing information and amendments kind of keep coming through. And so there's, there's a bit of risk here, especially as businesses work through their own federal and um, state tax filing deadlines, which are a little bit different from um, our local filing deadlines. They can make amendments. Um, I'm happy to take any questions. Uh, I just have a, a quick one for now, and because I, I don't also see any names on the roster yet. Um, on the slides about for the revenue on um, just on their list of revenues, and uh, I'm trying to get understanding. So you mentioned there are a couple ones that are including the homelessness. Is, uh, was it the big like our city out of our home is not on here? That's correct. Um, this is a, our, our um, report is a general fund focused, mm -hmm. um, so it's not on this table. Um, we do forecast it, and it's on our other funds table, and I can provide the details after this Great. Or to and, your office. And also then with that, uh, what it's not on here is also uh, the early child care. 
That's, that's correct. So the early child care fund, um, that's also not in the general fund. Um, it's sort of reflected here in the commercial rinse tax transfer in because the general fund receives 15% of um, the revenue basically from that fund. So we're in the current year, we think revenue is going to go down. And so that's also reflected in the baby C fund. Got it. And then for the excess ERAF, which is for the under the property tax, and right now, uh, is that so? Is that that's a projection, and or is that an actual three hundred and fifty-five? That is a projection. We'll know um, in mid-August and September where we actually land for the excess ERAF. Correct. Thank you. Um, I don't have any more questions, and Supervisor Safai. Thank you. So you you went. I know you had to go through that quickly, there's a lot of information. Just want to spend a moment on um, property tax. So can you speak a little bit more about that? It looks like, I guess to date, is this, the, is this a nine month to date? It leaves us with about an 86.5 million dollars in additional property taxes than we're expected? That's correct. Um, that's the change above budget and mm -hmm. a zero change from the March forecast. Um, what's driving that is really, um, at the nine month mark, we have more information to date. You know, right. nine months have elapsed. And so um, two things really, it's um, in improvements in supplementals and escapes um, from the assessor's office, as mm -hmm. well as um, just increased uh, enrollments in assessed value, higher than what we budgeted. And, and do you believe that that trend is going to continue into the following year, and how are you going to project that in the upcoming budget? I mean, maybe that's more of a question. Yeah, we do have a budget forecast. Um, I'm not remembering off of the top of my head. I think there are other factors as well that possibly countervailing factors in the budget year. So I guess, so when I look at the real property transfer tax, that's about $216 million below than what was projected. And then you have the property and, and excess ERAF, and that was 80. So can you talk, can you reconcile those? Yeah, so um, transfer tax uh, is a tax on every time there's a transaction, like a sale of property, um, the city gets a percentage of right. that transfer in value. No, um, no, I, I'm sorry. Okay. I, un I understood that. At what I guess what I'm saying is we've been talking for over a year that we expected that property transfer tax was going to go down because of the vacancies uh, downtown and the valuation of properties decreasing. So how is it that we, I guess, under-projected by $216 million there? Um, for that one, we yes, we over-projected by $216 million because there's kind of been a lag. So last year was a uh, huge high of $500 million, and we did budget a huge drop from 520 to 390. It's just that it's even worse than we thought it right. would be. And I think that trend is going to continue. Yes. And so what are you projecting in the upcoming, in terms of how it will impact the, uh, the budget? I mean, maybe that's more of a question for the mayor's office. Um, so we do the... Oh. No, we do the forecast as well um, for the budget and budget year, and it does take into account the current year trends. Um, I think the way we're forecasting transfer taxes, we're thinking that by, I think it's 26, 27, that will get back to some sort of lower steady state, and um, 
the budget will forecast kind of linear increases over the next three years from, so seeing this year as a all-time low. There's risk to that though, as mm -hmm. you're pointing out, Supervisor. Right, so I guess, I guess what I would say is just my own observation. I think that property transfer, I mean property taxes, both ERAF and others, I mean we, we underprojected those a bit and we we're getting actuals and it'd be interesting to watch that trend. I think that will start to level off um, but the real property transfer tax will continue and it'll have a significant impact. Uh, and if the 21-22 was over 500 million and we're already down to 174, it's probably 174 and dropping, which creates a significant, I mean, that's part of our $800 million deficit, right, projected. And I think it's gonna continue to increase. I know that the FEMA disaster release, we, we shallowed out at the right moment, right? But I guess we're, we were $220 million off. <laughs> did, did you wanna talk about that a little bit for a second? Because that, that also has a major impact on our budget in terms of what we had been hearing from the controller's office. All along for the last year was, or the last two years, we expect to, I'm putting the words in the mouth, I'm, I'm, I'm reiterating what we heard from the controller we expect to receive 95% of the reimbursements that we'll be asking for. So, so what happened? Um, so I can, I can speak to that as well. Wh whoever so, wants to speak. Sorry, so I think we still expect to, we ha we're making and we have made reimbursements to FEMA and we have received, um, I think it's like 200-ish million dollars already so far. I think this is really just an administrative thing at FEMA where they're shifting priorities of which jurisdictions they're looking at and so because the city mm -hmm. and county of San Francisco has already received quite a bit of money they're um, not prioritizing us um, but I think our expectation is that we'll still receive FEMA reimbursements it's just much more delayed and it will so will that number then change that 220 million will that number change or that's just for for this particular year that's for this year. We're still uh, assuming and expecting payments in the budget year and the budget year plus one. Okay. All right. Those are my questions for right now. Thank you, Chair. Thank oh, you. Oh, wait. Oh. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I have one more thing because I, I circled this. So Human Services Agency, $13 million in expenditure savings. Is that money that was not spent by that department that they, that they put in their budget when they came to us last year? Is that right, M Madam uh, Director of Budget from the Mayor's uh, Office? Yeah, good afternoon, Anna Duning, uh, Budget Director from the Mayor's Office. The primary reason for underspending in the Human Services Agency is historic levels of vacancies um, in that department. So they've been um, doing their best to hire up, but they have a lot of vacancies in their, um, I don't wanna speak to exactly what job classification that is. And is that the same with, is that the same across all of the departments that have the expenditure savings? It's, is it just these are staff positions that were funded and unfilled? Largely, I can't speak to every single department. There are other reasons for savings in departments, but yes, largely it is understaffing and vacancies that are driving savings. What about this 2.3 million in the mayor's office? What's that? That is both uh, the mayor's office as well as um, MoCD, and I believe that is largely salary savings from staff vacancies as well. Mm. Okay. All right, that's something to keep in mind as we approach the 
budget process. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Ronan. Thank you. Um, a couple questions about the overpaid executive tax, since this is the first year that we've collected this tax. So if I understand correctly, we expected to receive $60 million from this tax, but it, but by yesterday, we've received $190 million. Is that correct? Um, we're expecting to receive $190 million by the end, the end of, of August, which then we accrue it. back into this year. Got it. Um, and so what would you, since this is the base year, we, we had no idea what we were going to really uh, receive. That's great news. Um, are we projecting then going forward that we'll, we'll collect about the same each year? Yeah, so this year is special in that um, it's the first year, and um, th in the first year, we're actually going to receive about a year and a half of collections um, just due to the timing of collections. Um, so this year will be is extraordinarily high. Um, it, it represents 1.5 years. Um, but we have adjusted our budget year and budget year one forecast to level at about $100 million per year or we will be in the mayor's proposed budget. Okay, so that's what we, we, we expect going forward. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And uh, seeing no more um, names on the roster for questions and comments, uh, we appreciate this nine-month report. Uh, I think we're going to go to um, public comments for this item now. I'm sorry, Madam Chair, are we opening a public comment? Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, very well. Uh, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now along those curtains. Uh, for those who have joined us remotely and haven't already done so, uh, press star three if you wish to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the uh, system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Uh, seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, uh, Mr. Sue, if you can uh, unmute our caller, please. I don't know if that line is unattended. Maybe we, could, we can uh, swing back to that. And I will take this opportunity that, uh, as the chair did state uh, at the beginning of the meeting, we are timing each speaker at one minute for today's meeting. So, uh, yes, Mr. Chu, if you can uh, unmute our caller, please. So, once again, thank you for the measly one minute to the presenter. I want to thank you for doing a good job. And I also want to make a statement that this budget committee is one of the worst budget committee meetings that I've had the pleasure of watching. And I've been watching this for the last 40 years. This this budget committee is one of the worst. Thank you very much. Thank you, Francisco. The cost for your comments. Uh, Mr. Sue, next speaker, please. Uh, great. David Philpel, uh, very briefly, I appreciate the uh, nine-month 
uh, report and uh, Michelle and Risa and Carol and the rest of the gang that uh, uh, put it together. There's a lot of detailed information here for people uh, like me who care about it. Uh, just wanted to call a, a brief attention starting on page uh, 41 in the packet, page 32 of the report, uh, the section on um, select special revenue and internal uh, service uh, funds. Um, if staff can just pay uh, some attention to this in the future and be consistent with the fund names and some of the uh, arcane uh, details between here and other uh, documents. Um, there's a reference to the airport annual service payment, but it's not uh, called that. There's reference to the um, solid waste fund, which is otherwise known as the impound account, but it doesn't say impound account here anywhere. Anyway, just so that there's some uh, internal consistency uh, between this document and, and other documents. But otherwise, the detail in here is incredibly helpful. And thanks again to the staff. Thank you, David Pilpa, for your comments. And just to verify, yes, Madam Chair, that does complete our queue. Thank you, and seeing no more public comment, public comment is now closed. Uh, colleagues, I think uh, without any more questions that we have today, we can probably uh, continue this item to the call chair, and uh, we look forward to hearing the actual budget, and uh, which is really just a week from now. You always gonna have a, you always have like a six months, nine months. Anyways, and uh, no problem. And uh, <laughs> with that, uh, let's. Con uh, I need a second. Second by Vice Chair, uh, Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. And on that motion by Chair Chan and seconded by Vice Chair Mandelman that this hearing be continued to the call of the Chair. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman, aye. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. Member Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have five ayes. Thank you. The motion passes. And um, Mr. Clerk, please call item number two. Yes, item number two. Uh, is a hearing to review and discuss city investment of services for the Lakeview Ocean View, Merced Heights, and Ingleside communities from 2013 through 2023. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this hearing should call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 2595-765-9214, then press pound twice. And if you haven't already done so, please dial star three, line up to speak. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, uh, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you, and uh, the sponsor of this hearing is Supervisor Safai, and I will lead to, leave, leave it to you to lead this conversation and hearing. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Chair Chan. I, I appreciate you making room for this today. This is a continuation of a conversation that began a couple of years ago during COVID. We had to do this um, on uh, Zoom uh, remotely. Um, as best we could during those times and a commitment was made to follow up with these departments that are here today to talk about a very targeted conversation around investment in the Lakeview OMI in my district. Uh, so I call for this hearing in response to requests for data that can demonstrate the city's commitment to this part of town, to equity investments in high need areas, especially as we enter these challenging economic times. Uh, we held a budget town hall uh, last month for District 11 where we heard loud and clear that the most vulnerable residents of our community are facing and continue to face 
um, a lack of resources and services that are equitably distributed um, and really focus on the community-based agencies that receive those that have been most responsive to the needs of those communities they serve. And so, as I said, we had this hearing, uh, initial hearing conversation back in 2021, and we called for a hearing to follow up uh, because we wanted to talk about what the impact was during recovery. So I appreciate all the departments that have responded and come out today to answer these questions. And as I shared during the previous hearing, um, when we talked about this in, in a couple years ago, uh, this community feels underrepresented in, in receiving funds, but overrepresented in those that need funds. And uh, this is really a conversation about looking at organizations that are homegrown, that are from Lakeview OMI, that understand and have the interests of the community, um, and that are based there and anchored there in the community. So I want to thank all the constituents and service providers who participated in our budget town hall and remain engaged in the process to ensure that the communities receive the investments in fairness and, and resources that they ask for and deserve. So we have city seven departments here today, which were identified by the community as the departments that support the most critical services. And we also have been joined by uh, in addition to the ones that we put in our request and, and call for response, we also are joined by city librarian, uh, direct, uh, Michael Lambert uh, and his team. So we'll hear for the community, uh, excuse me, we'll hear from the departments with an opportunity to ask clarifying questions. So first we're gonna hear from Susie Smith um, from uh, HSA and, and then we're gonna hear um, for, oh, she's the Deputy Director of Policy Planning and Public Affairs for Human Services Agency. Thank you for joining us. The floor is yours, Ms. Smith. Thank you, Supervisor Safiyi, for um, calling this hearing and bringing to our attention the, um, the needs and us giving us the opportunity to talk about um, San Francisco Human Services supports in these neighborhoods. Next slide. Um, before I dive in, I just wanted to give a brief overview of HSA's structure because it's often confusing. So we're um, two separate city departments that are supported by the same foundation. Uh, so one department is the Department of Benefits and Family Support, and that administers state and federal primarily entitlement programs as well as our child welfare services. Um, the other department, DAS, most of you are familiar with, Department of Aging and Disability Services, um, providing support uh, for people with uh, disabilities and older adults. Next slide. Across our two departments, we operate 14 programs that support San Franciscans. We also partner with over 100 community-based organizations to offer community-based resources in our city's diverse population. Today, I'm going to focus um, mostly on our public benefit programs and on our community partnerships, primarily through DAS. Next slide. I wanted to briefly contextualize our work in the population that we serve. Most of our programs are governed by strict state and federal eligibility criteria that focus on um, people with incomes below the poverty level. So here I just wanted to show sort of what the poverty breakdown looks like for the two zip codes in question. Um, citywide, the San Francisco's poverty rate is 10%. So one in 10 San Franciscans live below the federal poverty line. Looking at the zip codes that span LMI and Lakeview, we see that about 8% of residents in 94112 are living in poverty. 
um, and for residents in, and, and most commonly these are um, Asian and Latinx or Hispanic residents. And when we look at um, 94132, about 17% are living in poverty. And depicted on the right of the slide, we see that the largest portion in poverty are, are Asian uh, and then followed by white. In sharing this, I, I want to acknowledge that zip codes are not an exact match for the neighborhood boundaries. However, we believe that the census data available at even the zip code level can provide some useful insights for us. Next slide. Now on to um, HSA services and investments. Um, HSA's budget includes over $100 million annually in supports to residents in uh, 94112 and 94132 across all of our programs. It represents about 12% of our budget. In addition, we are able to leverage $91 million in state and federal funds outside of our local budget for services to these residents. This includes about $60 million in caregiver wages for D11 residents getting home care through our in-home supportive services program and $32 million in CalFresh's uh, flexible food supports. A quick note on methods. Um, we're primarily analyzing program data by client address, um, not by service site location based in the OMI. And this because, again, as I mentioned, the eligibility for our programs is person-based and not site-based. So, for example, you, know, you don't have to um, visit an in-person site in, in the OMI or, or Lakeshore to be able to um, get CalFresh benefits. Further, we use zip codes to approximate location, and we recognize, again, it's not a precise as, boundary, as neighborhood boundaries, and that this is a neighborhood of, of great need. Um, for our public benefit programs, which uh, serve over 250,000 San Franciscans, more than one in four residents, were mandated to use state and federal database systems that, again, just offer zip code level data. For our community-based services that offer in-person services, we focus on those located in the LMI Lakeview neighborhood boundaries. Next slide, please. So our, our programs here um, provide uh, affordable health care, flexible food funds, direct financial assistance, family support, and uh, employment help. These are programs you're all familiar with, Medi-Cal, CalFresh, CalWorks, and CAP, or our, our general assistance program. About 42,000 clients participating in these services live in the D11 zip codes, represents about 17% of HSA's caseload for these programs. And, it, uh, and as a percentage of the program funding, this is about $34 million annually. Overall, we're serving about 40% of all 94112 residents and over one in four residents in 94132. The racial and ethnic profile of D11 residents participating in this program, these programs generally align um, with those living in poverty in these neighborhoods. So we're not seeing a lot of disproportionality, which, which we're always looking into. I'm also excited to share, and this may be the first opportunity to share at the board level, that we're going to be um, launching a mobile office where we are going to have eligibility workers and staff um, come out to communities and um, provide services to um, bring people in, into our programs and making it easier for, for people to apply for our supports um, without having to come down to one of our offices. We got a, a grant for that, so we're, we're really excited. We don't, we don't have to use city funds for that. 
Um, next slide, please. A newer area of service for HSA is our community-based food programming. As I, all of you know, this began as a pandemic response um, to acute hunger in our communities. We've been able to sustain um, these efforts through the support of the mayor and the board. Um, I want to particularly thank you know, Supervisor Safayi, Supervisor Ronan, Supervisor Walton. I know that you have been huge champions of our food support work, and, and we're grateful for that. Close to 4,000 residents in the D11 zip codes are supported by these programs. This represents about 15% of the clients in our community-based food programming, and it equates to about $4.5 million in, in funding. I wanted to highlight here two OMI-specific sites. Through the Food Bank's pop-up food pantry program, we fund distribution of over 4,100 grocery bags out of Minnie and Lovey Ward Rec Center each month. I love that rec center. My kids play soccer there all the time. It's a great one. Um, and we are expanding our community grocery program, which provides culturally relevant groceries through our community-based um, partners. As of July, we'll be able to offer these groceries out of IT Bookman. Next slide. Now I want to shift to talk about two program areas within DOS. The In-Home Supportive Services Program, or IHSS, provides home care to Medi-Cal clients with disabilities. About 12% of our IHSS clients live in the 94112 and 94132 zip codes. Their participation equates to about $46 million in HSA's annual budget. And when we add in the state and federal dollars for caregivers' wages that flow outside of our budget, uh, the total value of IHSS services in D11 uh, neighborhoods is over $100 million annually. So quite a bit of state and federal resources we're able to leverage. Susie, can I, I'm sorry, yeah. can I just interrupt for one second? Yeah. I, I just want to be super clear, and I think you're trying to do the best job you can, but I just want you to really highlight this is really targeted to as much as we can to Lakeview OMI, and I know it's hard to de-aggregate your data. I think the safest way to do that is, is 94132 as much as possible, but it's not really about the zip codes, and I know that's how you all do it. It's really as much as we can about Lakeview OMI, um, because uh, there is a very distinct level of services provided uh, district-wide. So that's why we had this follow-up hearing we, don't want, we didn't want to necessarily talk about the entire district okay. this time. We just really wanted to zero in on Lakeview OMI. Well, Supervisor Safi, it's a great transition point because now we're going to move over to our DOS program, which Good. programs which are really um, specific to these neighborhoods. Right, um, and, I, and I saw you highlighted Minnie and Levy. I saw you highlighted some of the food programming right. and some of the services. Um, so I just wanted to say that to you and also to the rest of the presenters. Yeah. Now, I wish we could, um, we could report more easily on um, neighborhood-level services. It's just hard with, with 250,000 clients. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so on, moving on to DOS community services, um, we are lucky to have amazing partnerships with the community through DOS. Um, this slide provides a list of our site-based community services offered in these neighborhoods. Um, we find about 4,200 seniors and adults with disabilities living um, in these neighborhoods participate um, in our DOS programs each year. It's about 12% of our DOS clients and about $5 million in annual funding. And on the next slide, 
I wanted to highlight more specifically some of our efforts to support older adults and people with disabilities living in, in the OMI and Lakeview area. An important role that we can play is to facilitate connection to helpful resources. So the DOS, um, DOS runs the Benefits and Resource Hub, which is sort of a hub and spoke model where we have kind of a central call-in line and then we can um, filter by neighborhood and direct people to resources locally. So we've been able to provide over 1,000 residents each year um, in this neighborhood uh, DOS services. And we have a couple of trusted partners in the neighborhood. Our Aging and Disability Resource Center partner um, is the OMI Resource Center. And staff there provide services to help about 1,200 people per year. Additionally, we see as an important role, and we've heard from community, particularly BIPOC-led organizations, the importance of building capacity for smaller organizations to be able to access funds, to be able to navigate our you know, not-so-easy procurement processes. Um, so we were, are proud that we've been able to build capacity in OMI anchor organizations, following up with some of the commitments that, that we made to Supervisor Safai in the 2011 hearing. We are now supporting more than 500 people to participate in activities at the OMI Senior Center, and over 400 people participate in services that we fund through IT Bookman. This includes a new dinner service, which is funded at 300,000 annually. Um, our staff collaborated really closely with IT Bookman to build their, their capacity and experience to apply for and qualify um, as a provider in our community dining program. Next slide. Um, you had also asked to see some of the historical investments over time. Um, and here, just to show that we have seen meaningful increases in, in participation by residents um, in the zip codes of interest since 2013. Um, I'm not going to go into these details, but uh, it's here if you're interested. I will mention that the, the participation in DOS's community-based programs has similarly increased um, by about 60% overall. And that's driven largely in part to our expanded meal and grocery programs for older adults and people with disabilities, including the IT Bookman services I just mentioned. Next slide. Finally, I would like to close today by providing an overview of the community sites that HSA supports within OMI Lakeview neighborhood. As you can see here, HSA currently funds services provided at six locations in the neighborhood. This includes a variety of food resources, as well as educational and recreational activities for seniors. As we build out our new mobile office, we'll also be seeking partners within OMI neighborhood to help us engage community members um, in, interested in applying for benefits or um, help maintaining benefits. Finally, my last slide is just a list of the many organizations that we partner with to bring um, community-based services to the OMI, to OMI Lakeshore, Lakeview residents. Um, the agencies listed here provide the resources at the sites we just mentioned. And in addition to these great organizations, we also partner with agencies that provide home-based services, such as Bayview Hunters Point Senior Services and Meals on Wheels, which provide home-delivered meals to older adults and people with disabilities in this neighborhood. We're really fortunate to have so many creative and dedicated partners providing needed and useful resources in the community. Thanks again for giving um, us the opportunity to showcase some of those CBO partnerships and, and the important work and the need in this neighborhood. Happy to answer any questions that you have. Thank you.
Okay. The next uh, presenter we have, we're going to go to Ms. Uh, Director Mesquita, exec from the Office of Early Child Care. Good afternoon, supervisors. Thank you for this opportunity. Um, I think the Susie did a lot of the sort of big overview of the neighborhoods um, for the OMI and Lakeview in terms of population and population in need. Um, pretty much it, this is the same priority population that we use for targeting our resources um, from the Department of Early Childhood. Um, and I wanted to set a little bit of a context for um, the data that we're, um, I'm going to demonstrate. And then this is a really high-level overview, but it's also within the time constraints um, that we were provided. So the historical data that we're providing um, is around enrollment access and the Family Resource Center Initiative, um, for which is funded um, through multiple um, sources and multiple departments. Um, the data is limited due to administrative and programmatic changes, and so it only goes back as far as 2018. As you know, the Department of Early Childhood was just created just a few months ago. It was a merger of First Five San Francisco and the Office of Early Care and Education. Um, and we've had to um, patch a lot of data um, since then um, and merge it. Um, so the ECE funding is very difficult to generalize and track at the neighborhood level, very similar to um, the Human Services Agency, um, since we also leverage a lot of federal and state dollars. Um, and so individual funding for a child depends on a range of factors. So our enrollment specifically um, over the last few years um, for children enrolled in 94112, since we don't track home addresses, especially as what I just mentioned, we do leverage a lot of resources outside of just local funding, federal and state. Um, we've had um, changes over that enrollment over time, especially during the years of the pandemic. There were very specific public health rules um, that didn't allow for classrooms to be at their full enrollment, but rather what we used to call the pandemic pods, if, ever, if anyone remembers those. So it significantly reduced the number of children that could be enrolled at a site. Um, so those are the sort of the number drops. Um, but overall, our funding um, has continued to steadily now increase since the pandemic, and we are looking at being able to build even more capacity in the very specific neighborhoods that we're talking about in the OMI and the Lakeview District. And much of this is um, to Baby Prop C that allows us to build not only facilities, but also enrollment. For our family resource centers, um, this is again another number that has been impacted by the pandemic um, and, in and also in doing a lot of the data merge. But on a citywide basis, um, we serve over 7,000 parents and caregivers and specifically in the OMI, um, there is a family resource center that specifically addresses the needs of um, that neighborhood um, and it's a little bit over 187. Um, we are funding the family resource centers, again, citywide, and specifically for the family resource center that is in the OMI, um, that translates to a little bit over a million, $1.3 million. And many of the FRC activities, um, similar to the early care and education enrollment, 
many families um, receive services outside of their neighborhood. So this is something that we're also improving upon to be able to track that migration of where families live, don't necessarily, they don't receive services and vice versa. And that is it for my presentation. I'm gonna let folks present and then we can call back up for questions uh, after we go through the presentations for, for flow. Um, next up, we have some, oh, there she is, Ms. Uh, Executive Director Maria Sue from DCYF. Thank you. I'm so sorry, I didn't realize. Uh, can we bring up my presentation? Is that possible? So while the clerk is bringing that up, um, good afternoon. Uh, Chair Chan, Supervisor Safai, uh, Ronan, Meldeman, Mandelman, sorry, and Walton. Uh, my name is Maria Sue. I am the Director for the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Safai, for calling this hearing to highlight uh, the services and investment that the city, and particularly for me, DCYF, has made to the Lakeview, Ocean View, Merced Heights, Ingleside neighborhoods over the past 10 years. Perfect, thank you. Um, next slide, please. Um, as previously mentioned, it is really hard for us to break down the type of services and investments that we fund to the, neighbor at, to the neighborhood level um, uh, for a number of reasons, um, but our data team um, has tried their best to figure out how to make this happen. So in this chart, you'll see DCYF's best estimates um, on, on the programs and the funding that we make um, in the Lakeview and OMI communities for over the last 10 years, from 2013 to 2023. The estimates were determined by dividing the total DCYF funding amount for that program over the number of sites that that program tells us that they're providing services to, um, and, and then we do that type of math. Um, so for example, if DCYF funded a program at $100,000 and they provide sites and services to over 10 different sites, we estimate that each site uh, will be allocated $10,000. Unfortunately, this is the only way right now that we can um, figure out these, this, this data situation. So you will see that last fiscal year, fiscal year 21-22, DCYF made a total investment of $164 million to more than 400 different programs to serve children, youth, Tay, and families throughout our city. Um, of this amount, DCYF estimated that we funded $2.1 million in the OMI and Lakeview neighborhood based on that calculation that we made that I just talked about. Um, right. For this past fiscal year, we proposed an estimated allocation of $3.5 million to the OMI and Lakeview neighborhoods. Once again, they're very specific neighborhoods based on those very specific zip codes and um, boundaries. 
DCYF estimates that um, in these communities, we made an increase of from $1.3 million in fiscal year 2013-2024 to now almost $3.5 million in 2022-2023. Next slide, please. There are lots of caveats to all of this. I do want to highlight that the increase that I just mentioned in fiscal year of 2021 to 2022 and from 2022 to 2023 were results of short-term allocations, um, both from Summer Together initiatives as well as our DreamKeeper initiative. These initiatives and these funding helped increase after-school opportunities um, for young people, summer programming for our children, youth, and families, youth workforce development programs and initiatives, as well as mental health services. Next slide, please. Um, as mentioned previously, because our young people move throughout the city and because we have um, citywide services and choice that our young people and families go to, we truly believe that these funding amounts are an underestimate of the DCYF total investment in the OMI Lakeview neighborhoods. Um, so until we can come up with a better strategy and way to calculate how much we fund by neighborhoods, this is our best estimate. Um, and with that, I conclude my presentation. Thank you. Thank you, Director Sue. Um, I'm, as I said, we'll just keep going through the presentations and then we, we're definitely gonna call you back up. Perfect, have a thank few you. Questions. Thank you, I appreciate it. Um, next up, I have is the Office of Economic and Workforce Development. Uh, I, there's the director, uh, Kate Sophis, and I know we have the director of workforce development, Josh Arce, director of community economic development, Pon Diana Ponce de Leon, and I think we have the direct deputy director for community economic development, Chris Corgus, but I don't, is he here? I don't know. Anyway, we'll start with you, director. Thank you. Great, thank you, and thank you for calling this hearing. Um, and as every other department head has said, we too believe that this is an area of the city in great need and well worthy of attention, and we appreciate uh, Supervisor uh, Safai calling attention to this. Like that? Please. Ready to go? All right, great. So we wanted to start by um, framing uh, the investments that I'm going to walk you through based on uh, they are a combination of one-time investments and um, sustained ongoing baseline investments. And we'll try to highlight for you as we go through sort of our walk through of the last 10 years, uh, which are ongoing programs and which are investments that we've been able to make either because of one-time COVID relief funding, one-time mayoral enhancement or, or add back funding. So with that, I'm gonna talk about investments in three main divisions of OEWD, our Community Economic Development Division, which is really focused on supporting uh, small businesses and particularly businesses that are owned by BIPOC community members in our communities of deep need, our Office of Small Business, which supports citywide uh, small businesses and our workforce division. So we will start with Community Economic Development. So um, as previous departments have said, we also worked very hard to try to extrapolate um, based on uh, business location or based on location of our funded uh, nonprofit partners to extrapolate where we are making targeted investments in the OMI. 
Um, and certainly it was easier for those programs that are doing direct grants or relief to uh, businesses to be able to uh, identify clearly that those businesses are actually in the OMI. Some of our other programs, again, are citywide and we're doing our best to estimate. So as we go through the list of community economic development programs, we have large programs such as the first one listed here, uh, which is our economic vitality incubation hub um, through our partner Good Rural. Um, this is one of our largest programs. It is DreamKeeper funded and it's focused on supporting home-based childcare providers. Not all of the providers themselves are in the OMI, but this is a very uh, strong community partner who are themselves in the OMI, and we know that many of these investments are directed to home-based childcare providers in the OMI. We have a number of um, also DreamKeeper uh, cultural events that we have provided support for. We have our ongoing legal services for entrepreneurs. This is a citywide program, and we have not been able to uh, yet extrapolate the percentage of that service which we make available to um, any small business in need of um, legal services, but that is something that is available to businesses in the OMI as well as citywide. And then we get into um, a set of one-time funding, and it includes uh, COVID relief mini-grants, uh, which went out to businesses in the OMI. It includes our African-American Revolving Loan Fund, which was also something that we stood up during COVID. And of the total amount, we estimate around 200,000 uh, went to forgivable um, grants to businesses located in the OMI. And then we have a set of um, investments that we could actually, uh, again, track to very specific OMI-based businesses such as Anna's Market Healthy Retail. We estimate, and uh, we think this is a conservative estimate, that through our CED division uh, so far, we've invested over $1 million uh, targeted at small businesses in the OMI. Moving on to the Office of Small Business, which again is our other um, offering at OEWD to reach small businesses citywide. So our Office of Small Business really has two kinds of services, if you will, that go out to our businesses. One are direct assistance programs, and uh, probably one of the most important of those is our Small Business Development Center, which is actually part of the Office of Small Business. So rather than tracking um, dollars going out to folks, what, what we can report is that we have dedicated staff who are available to work with any business in the OMI or any individual entrepreneur that is seeking um, to start a business. This, this is a federally funded program. It is an ongoing service available to businesses in the OMI, along with our staff that we have at the Office of Small Business itself that can work with businesses on everything from small business permitting um, for startups to um, navigating other processes um, here at the city. And then we also administer a number of direct grant programs through the Office of Small Business. You can see they include our ADA Barrier, barrier Removal Grant Program, Disaster Relief Grant Program, and two of our legacy business grant programs. So the total you see there is 141,000, and that is based on um, our database that shows the actual businesses that grants went to and corresponding their addresses to, to being in the OMI. And then last but not least, um, our biggest investment in the OMI to date has been through our workforce development capacity. 
Um, we made very specifically in 2019 a big investment to create the first neighborhood job center in the OMI um, as a direct response to what we heard from community with respect to what we were seeing on the ground, people experiencing some of the highest unemployment rates in the city um, and disproportionately um, communities of color in the OMI. Since then, um, in 2020, we actually were able to increase investment by including now a satellite job center, so a second job center, and of course our um, COVID resource hub, which is now we call our resource hub, um, which is located in the OMI for a total of a little bit more than $2 million through our workforce programs. This concludes the data that we are presenting to you today and open to questions. Thank you. Um, I would like to call up specifically Director of Workforce Development, Josh Arce. I know that the, we have our, our Opportunity Resource Center there. We work with a number of the different organizations in terms of employment, particularly uh, inner city youth. So if maybe he could say a few words specifically, Great. that would be really helpful. Thank you, Director. And then we will we'll come back to you all at the, at the end. Thanks, Supervisor. Yes, we are very proud to support the work of inner city youth in successfully standing up the OMI Job Center uh, along with the partnership with Young Community Developers who's a fiscal sponsor and we think it's an important investment that uh, has been successful every year since it's been in place. And any, just to add on to that, just any plans going forward in terms of expansion or support of any additional work? That's really what I, I know you guys have been tremendous and thank you for helping to facilitate the creation of the job center? I don't want to get ahead of the budget process supervisor, but... You can talk in general terms. <laughs> generally, if I was looking at a crystal ball or a magic eight ball or talking to Nostradamus, I'd say things look very good. <laughs> okay, thank you, sir. Thanks, supervisor. Thank you. And, and, and then... Uh, and... Um, Anything else in particular that, Director, that you think uh, Ms. Ponce de Leon or Mr. Corgis could add? I see through eye signals that I think, I think we are um, happy with what we've shared today, but again, okay. happy to dive into any details. No, no, and, we'll, we'll yeah. call you back up. Thank okay, you, Director. Great. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, I think the next up we have is the Department of Public Health, uh, Haley Hammer. Did I say your name right? You did. Thank you. Thank you. Good afternoon, supervisors, and um, thank you for this opportunity to present today on behalf of the Department of Public Health. I'm Hallie Hammer. I'm Director of Ambulatory Care for the uh, San Francisco Health Network, Department of Public Health. And I'm joined remotely today by Dr. Um, Farnaz Faramond, who's the Director of Behavioral Health Services Children, Youth, and Family System of Care, um, and Dr. Farman will be um, available to provide more detail about our mental health and substance use programs in District 11, um, Lakeview OMI specifically, if that is requested. Next slide, please. So first I will present a, um, a very high-level overview of the Department of Public Health just to locate the different services I'm talking about within the department. DPH is an integrated health department with two primary roles and two distinct divisions. 
Um, both of these divisions are focused on our departmental mission of protecting and promoting the health and well-being of all San Franciscans. The Population Health Division works on a population level to identify community health needs and plan the responses. Population health addresses public health concerns, including consumer safety, health promotion, disease preparedness, um, disaster response, and other major threats to our public health. Population health provides a limited number of our city and county-wide um, di uh, direct clinical services like our adult immunization and travel clinic, city clinic, TB clinic, and the public health lab. The San Francisco Health Network comprises the bulk of direct health services provided by the Department of Public Health. Each year, the network serves more than 120,000 San Franciscans throughout our clinics and hospitals and our other clinical programs, which I will discuss today. I also want to note just an acknowledgement of the request to look back on DPH investments in, um, in OMI, uh, Lakeview OMI, um, and, the, and District 11 over the past 10 years. Um, we did have challenges gathering um, information. We really rely on our electronic health record, which we began to um, implement in, in 2019. And so it's hard to look before 2019 and after 2019 and compare data to come up with things like unduplicated patients served. Um, we also have not yet rolled out um, our new electronic health record to the entire department, so behavioral health services is next to come. So, um, so again, we use different health, health records, um, which, which created some challenges in looking over 10 years. Our uh, next slide, please. So through these two divisions of the health department, we serve San Franciscans in the field, at our, at our many, many service sites, and through contracted providers. This, pro, um, this presentation today will focus on the services located in Lakeview OMI. And because we're a clinical division of the, the clinical division of the department, I'm going to focus primarily on our health network services. Um, and, I really want to also start before I get into the to the data, noting that many residents of San Francisco, San Francisco, and actually any any city, choose to access services outside of their neighbor, neighborhood. Meaning, many residents of OMI may access DPH services across the city. This is true of everybody in San Francisco, um, and especially um, in, in San Francisco with one public, um, public hospital, one long-term care hospital um, run by the, the Department of Public Health. Um, a lot of our departmental investment is in these centralized services, which I'll talk about. Um, and then, uh, I, I, uh, next slide, please. So this, um, this data really dives into um, the uh, information about unduplicated people served in um, the two zip codes that we're focusing on today, 94112 and 94132. 
It's collected through our electronic health records, as I, as I mentioned, both EPIC, which is most of the department, and AVATAR, which is our behavioral health electronic health record. It does not include a count of people served by our prevention and early intervention services. There are a lot of DPH services, services, services which are not captured and so are not reflected um, in, this, in this slide. As you can see from the table, residents of zip codes 94112 and 94132 represent more than 15% of all unduplicated primary care and specialty patients served by um, the Department of Public Health. They make up about 6% of clients who received specialty behavioral health services by the Department of Public Health and they make up more than 21% of clients served through uh, a particular maternal child and adolescent health program, which is the special nutrition program for um, uh, in women, sorry, the WIC program. Um, and in addition to the discrete um, clinical areas shown on this slide, DPH also serves Lakeview OMI residents in their homes, on streets, and in community-based sites. Examples of the, this which are not counted in these numbers are families and newborns served by our home visiting and public health nursing programs, children in schools and childcare centers served by our children's oral health programs, people who have survived a non-fatal overdose or other crisis on the street by our numerous street-based uh, teams. Next slide. Now we'll drill down into the services located directly in, um, in Lakeview OMI. Across these programs, DPH provides behavioral health services, prevention services, community outreach, and education and capacity building. These programs listed in this slide serve San Franciscans across the lifespan, including children, families, adults, and older adults. I do wanna highlight one of these programs, which is our OMI Family Center, one of our behavioral health clinics. OMI is a civil service clinic, meaning it's staffed by city and county employees. Um, and it provides a wide range of outpatient mental health services in a comprehensive mental health clinic. So it serves both adults and children and youth. While not included in this slide, DPH also provides street-based and scattered site health services to people experiencing homelessness and living in supportive, house, supportive housing throughout the city, including in the Lakeview OMI neighborhoods. And then, um, and then finally, um, about this slide, our, our maternal child and adolescent health section provides direct client services through its many programs across the city, so not in specific um, sites for the most part. Examples of these programs are public health nursing, home visiting, black infant health, our child care health program, WIC, as I mentioned before, and California Children's Services. Many, many maternal child and adolescent clients are served directly by these programs um, and are residents of Lakeview OMI. And again, because um, these, um, those, many of these programs do not use our Epic Electronic Health Record, um, mostly because of state regulations, we cannot count, we did not count them in the previous slide. Um, next slide. 
Um, as mentioned earlier, people may choose to access services outside their neighborhood, for instance, near their place of work or, or close by. And this slide shows our DPH programs and services, um, service sites located in other uh, District 11 communities outside of Lakeview, OMI. Next slide. And that's the end of our presentation. Okay, great. And, and when we come back up, we'll, again, just try to zero in on Lakeview OMI. Appreciate that. Great. Thank you. And I know that you have the Director of Family Systems Care and Behavioral Health Services also here. But we can come to her if we have any specific questions. So next up is uh, Community Development. Director of Community Development, Brian Chu. I know we have... Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs, uh, Ms. Nicolopoulos, as well. Thank you, Supervisors. Good afternoon. Um, so I think every department has classified their investments a little bit differently. We also did a little bit differently. Um, so for, for our purposes, uh, we chose to highlight those organizations that are we consider really rooted in the OMI. So while we serve other people and we have other sites in D11 and Excelsior, right. we limited to just that, that, groups that's that are. What, that's what you were supposed to do. Okay. So, so you, you followed the instructions right, well. So. Thank you. <laughs> we did our best. Okay. Um, so uh, I think you're familiar with our mission of uh, focusing on housing and housing stability, housing opportunities for vulnerable communities. Go to the next slide, our program areas, new construction housing preservation, our homeownership programs, and our community development work. And we'll just dive right into the next slide, which is the, um, it's building on, on uh, the information that we gave you at the previous hearing during COVID time, um, the past services and investments. So you can see over time, um, it's gone up uh, probably starting in 2016, 2017, and right now it's, um, last year was about $600,000, so it stayed uh, pretty flat over that time. The way that we do our services procurement, um, we do a large RFP uh, like once every five years or so, and that's the chance to reset. Um, our next large RFP will be um, the fall of 2024 for services starting in um, July 1st, 2025. Um, and you can see the services numbers. We looked at that. Uh, we looked a little bit as to why there was a dip between 2021 and 21-22. And when we looked at the providers, we surmised that they had over-served people the year before. And, and this year, people had significant challenges um, with their staff retention um, that year. So we think that's what led to that services drop. We go to the next slide, and so here we just wanted to include a couple of the capital investments along with the services investments. I think you're familiar with the public gateway project that we put together that's uh, right next to the library on Ocean Avenue, and also the one affordable housing uh, site that we wanted to highlight on Randolph and Head, the 200 Randolph Head, um, back in 2018. And then for this year, our services investments, uh, we've listed out uh, five specific services investments <laughs> Um, we include uh, additional support to um, the OMI Job Center uh, that Director Arce had mentioned, uh, additional support at the OMI Resource Center for Service Connection, uh, the Community Action Grant that's OMI-focused, administered by um, 
uh, the mission why, and then we also uh, have increased services, specific workforce services for residents at the Randolph Head site and tenant engagement at the Randolph Head site. Um, so those were added on. And then next slide for the next year, for 23-24, the services forecast, what we've submitted to the mayor's budget um, is the same as this year, so we've kept it at that same level. We know the mayor has not yet um, submitted her budget, um, but what we've projected so far um, and what we've put in uh, keeps it at the same level as this year. So that's a, a very quick summary of our investments so far and will be available for questions at the end. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, next up we have, I don't, I don't know if she's here, but we're supposed to have the Director of uh, Human Rights, uh, Director Davis. Okay, I don't see her. So we'll go to um, our city librarian, Michael Lambert. Good afternoon, supervisors. Thank you for the invitation to present before the Budget and Appropriations Committee this afternoon. I am joined by the library's chief operating officer, Maureen Singleton. We appreciate the opportunity to highlight the library's ongoing commitment to delivering the highest possible level of service to OMI residents. San Francisco Public Library has three neighborhood libraries, Ocean View, Merced, and Ingleside Branch Libraries, all open seven days per week to serve the OMI service area. These locations provide access to high quality physical collections. They also provide high speed internet access, free Wi-Fi, free printing, scanning, and copying services. Library staff at these locations are bilingual and provide information assistance and reader's advisory services to the diverse community. We also provide regular programming including early literacy programs, story times, and cultural programming to celebrate the diversity of our community. I understand the focus of this hearing today is the city's investment of services for the Lakeview, Oceanview, Merced Heights, and Ingleside communities from 2013 through 2023. The library's primary investment of services for these communities is represented in our operational costs for the three neighborhood libraries with the highest cost center being salary and fringe benefits for library personnel. We commit approximately $6.8 million annually to operate all three of these locations, and this includes site-specific staff and a prorated portion of the other departmental operations cost. Over the past decade, we have expanded hours in late 2013, early 2014, and 2017 to get to seven days service. The library is also currently working with our partners from the Department of Public Works to plan for the construction of a new branch library for the Ocean View neighborhood. This project was born out of an earlier branch capital projects feasibility report that laid out the need for improvements at Mission, Chinatown, and Ocean View. These locations were not part of the branch library improvement program. So in sharing this report uh, with these communities, it became clear that the Ocean View community did not want a renovated facility. They expressed a need for a larger facility and they are requesting a new branch library to better meet their needs for meeting space, programming, and expanded collections. 
Ocean View Branch Library is the smallest library in our system. It is located in an equity zone in our city. And the library has made the Ocean View Branch Library project a top priority with the Library Commission recently approving $15 million in the upcoming FY24 budget and an additional $4.8 million for FY25 as we continue building the budget for this project. So that concludes my brief presentation and overview of the ongoing and planned investments for the OMI, and I'm more than happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Uh, Madam Chair, I think we're just gonna go to public comment and then we'll call people. I want the departments to hear folks from the community and then we'll call them back up. Good idea, thank you. Um, Mr. Clerk, please go to public comment. Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public wish to speak on this hearing and are joining us in person should line up now. And uh, for those who have joined us remotely and haven't already done so, uh, press star three if you wish to enter the speaker line. However, those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no speakers here in the chamber. No, we, they're, they're coming. They're, they're standing. Okay. They're coming. <laughs> they're they're uh, taking the long way around. I don't know why. Right. <clears throat> don't make it. Yeah, either one. Either one. Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. Um, I'm here. I'm, my name is Renard Monroe. I'm an Executive Director of Youth First. I'm also funded by the Department of Children, Youth, and Families. And I'm also a representative of the Lakeview community. I'm also a resident of the Lakeview community. Um, I'm here about just continuing the investment in our community. Um, we're always the last ones to seem like we get that true investment. Um, and it's not about throwing dollars, it's also about resources. We need continued resources for our community. It's all about access and opportunity. I wanna thank um, Maria Sue for um, being more involved in the community, but from all the department heads, um, learning more about Lakeview and not calling us Ocean View is important because you gotta know where the resources are needed. And stating names is not good enough, but actually knowing where those resources are needed and our stakeholders and community members are desperately in need. Thank you. One minute. Thanks so much, Renard Monroe, for, uh, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Hi, my name is Delia Fitzpatrick, and I represent the Good Rule, Our Kids First, OMICC. And um, I requested this right, um, to see where the resources are at. Um, MOHCD did a great job of um, identifying where the organizations were, but there is still some lack of um, clarity on where the resources are at, how it's tracked, um, what, who is being served, and then a lot of them, a lot of the items are being clumped with larger organizations, the why, right? The why doesn't serve all the black and browns. Youth first, there's other organizations that need to be mentioned. And mental health and, and workforce, where is that? I understand um, um, YCD, but where is that otherwise? I don't see a lot of mental health. Um, where are the clinics? Where are 
where's IT Bookman? We need Speaker's to make sure that we elapsed. include everyone. Thank you much, Delia Fitzpatrick, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon. My name is EJ Jones, and I'm here with um, neighbors and community stakeholders from the OMI to really understand where the investment is in our community. Um, as, as a group, I think when we talk to each other, we realize that oftentimes we have really, as Supervisor Safai said earlier, we have groups that are really running really homegrown programs, and they are maxed out. Um, they are at capacity, and they don't really feel that they're getting the support they need from our city departments. So um, I stand here today to continue to ask for investment into the OMI community. And then, as we know, um, supervisors are going through the budget process, just to remember that this community is unique, and they still need um, the resources and the allocations to our community. Thanks. Thank you much, E.J. Jones, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, Board of Supervisors. My name is Monique Guidry. I'm a resident of Lakeview, an EC educator and co-founder of the African American Early Childhood Educators. Uh, thank you for your time and your continued investment in early child care. My question is for Director Ingrid Mesquita. Um, first, I'd like to thank her for the dedication and investment to the ECE community. Uh, my first question is, how is funding divided per grantees when it comes to renovation, capital, and loans? And what is the timeline for those to be distributed? And how is it decided who is awarded and the amounts that is awarded? My second is, is there an oversight committee how you're holding partners accountable for an equitable use of resources? What prompted these questions is situations from providers where there was a leak in her facility and she went to live for support. She received a letter of approval and still haven't received funds after two years. Um, yeah, for months going and run around in regards to her needs and funders, believe that there's need stories, that there are stories like this for a lot of OMI childcare facilities. Thank you. Thank you much, Minnie Kidri, for your comments. And Ms. Kidri, please say hello to your mother for me. Good afternoon. My name is Mary Evelyn Thomas. I'm a provider and also I live in the OMI and I just was listening and I was going to go with Monique, but I said there were so many things that they said that we're there, and I'm like, okay, could you show me where it is? Because we're OMI Lakeview. They not Lakeshore, not anything else, we're Lakeview. So I'm trying, I've been there since second grade. I'll be 70 this year. I'm trying to figure out where are these places that they said they have for mental health? Where are these things that they said that are, where are they exactly? Could we put where they are. I mean, I talk to other providers and other families and I try to help them get to resources and they say they're there. Could you help me find them? Could you put them in writing? Could you show me where to go? Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Marilyn Thomas, for your comments. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, supervisors. Uh, my name is Gwendolyn Brown. I am currently the director of the OMI Job Center um, that is under the fiscal sponsorship of YCD. I'm also a co-founder of SF Black Wall Street. Um, I'm here um, just to, uh, uh, I wanna thank Supervisor Asha Safai and um, uh, Chair uh, Chan for uh, calling this meeting and, and making this time. Um, and I want to thank all the department heads for their presentations. Um, I'd also like to speak to those uh, department heads about their investments. Their 10-year investments are extremely low in comparison to the need that is uh, documented in the data that I know they have at their departments. Um, 
and also in comparison to the investments in other neighborhoods. Um, I'm happy to hear uh, Director Arce say there's going to be a um, the workforce investment um, looks good for the OMI, but I'm hoping that other departments also follow that lead as we've been able to demonstrate um, compliance and um, efficacy at the OMI Job Center. Thank you very much. Thank you much, Gwendolyn Brown, for addressing this committee. Next speaker, please. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Naima Charles. I'm with Children's Council. Um, thank you for calling this hearing. As you've heard, the OMI needs community resources, and you saw large rates of poverty and need within the community. You just, you just heard that in every department, um, and the large rates of poverty for families cannot be highlighted enough, especially for our youngest children. Um, so now's the time to invest in the families and providers of the OMI, especially when there is such a large black community within the OMI. This is not the time to take money away from families of the OMI to give big businesses tax breaks. Um, families and providers deserve a break, too. Thank you. Thank you much, Naima Charles, for your comments. Seeing no further speakers here in the chamber, uh, we are checking our telephonic line. Uh, Mr. Sue, do we have any callers awaiting to address this committee? Uh, Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Thank you, Mr. Clark. Seeing no more public comments, public comment is now closed. Supervisor Safai. Thank you, uh, thank, and uh, thank you, Chair Chan. I know that we have a very busy schedule coming up, um, and I know that we have a full agenda coming into the, we're, we're a couple of days away from the budget being released. Um, again, and I, I know that this seems like a lot for a, a, a small portion of my district, but this was a commitment that was made during the height of George Floyd, during the height of investing in traditionally underserved black communities, and that happened in 2021. And so we wanted to have that follow-up conversation uh, because we have one of, of the longest and oldest uh, black communities in San Francisco. And so wanted to get folks here today from the departments as a follow-up conversation so that we can really think about uh, the statistics, the numbers, and the resources and, and, and services being served from all the different departments. I think there's still a little bit of confusion that we need to work through, um, but I appreciate the departments coming out and and there have been some commitments, as, and there has been some results. As uh, Director Arce pointed out, uh, we did not have a job center in Lakeview, OMI, a few years ago. And it was through hard work and effort and energy and, and investment, uh, working with inner city youth and uh, YCD, that we were able to get that investment because we looked at the data. We saw that many of the people that were going through YCD's training over in Bayview Hunters Point we're coming from Lakeview, OMI. We're coming from our neighborhood, and we needed that investment there. We did a study um, in the first and asked for statistics um, in my first year in office, and in that, we found out that in terms of the children that are living in poverty, zero to five, it equaled and was second in the entire city. It equaled the mission. It equaled uh, a part of town that a lot and a tremendous amount, as it should, investments have been made um, but not necessarily that same investment in zero to five in district. Same thing that we highlighted here today, mental health, seniors, and we have made progress. And I appreciate 
uh, the departments that came out. So I, I have a, just a few follow-up questions, and then colleagues, I appreciate you bearing with me, um, and then we'll wrap it up and get our legs ready for the, the long uh, budget session that's coming in June. <laughs> we'll have you all back here again. So um, first I wanted to ask uh, uh, Ms. Esquita, Director Esquita, if she could come back up. Um, we, we, had a, we had a rally today for Family uh, Resource Centers along with a long conversation that we've been having, and you and I have had that conversation about family child care centers, and we have the highest concentration of family child care centers in the entire city, and many of them, and some of the providers are here represented today. Um, and given the fact that we have one of the highest number of children and families, is there a, can you talk a little bit about any targeted effort for family child care providers and what your office intends to do specifically in Lakeview, OMI? Yes, we're actually currently doing. Um, we are investing right now um, in building out child care spaces in terms of capacity. We do have many family child care homes that operate in the OMI Lakeview district, mm -hmm. um, but we don't have many centers. Centers provide a little bit more capacity, enrollment capacity. Um, so we are targeting several sites. Um, one of them is a provider here, which we're partnering with. Um, in terms of ensuring that family child care providers, also specifically African-American providers, have access to the resources that our department has, we have partnered with another agency in, in the OMI, who's also here, um, to be able to very specifically work with family child care providers and being able to provide um, business TA, supports, resources, grants. Um, we have grants available um, through one of our community partners um, that are available, but we're targeting very specific this neighborhood and making sure that the resources are, are uh, provided um, equitably, but also that we're enhancing them because we know that just equitably is not enough when you are at a different starting line. And then just to follow up with one of the questions from the community about how the funding is divided and oversight for that funding, um, I'm sure you heard the question as well. Right. Um, our department actually has an early childhood um, community oversight and advisory committee, which was formed as part of the ordinance that established the Department of Early Childhood. Um, we have one of the community members here who's actually on that committee. Um, and we provide, as part of the ordinance, we provide uh, budget planning, but also um, they get to see the first sort of draft of our budget before it's even submitted to the um, mayor's budget office. Okay, great. Oh, yes, sure, please, Chair Chen. Uh, just a question, you know, just knowing that we have the early child care um, funds, uh, specifically uh, part of it is for the tax credit, child care facility tax credit. Has anyone from the Lakeview or, you know, Merced, like, actually have taken that tax credit and use that tax credit and has anyone been really like promoting because you mentioned you know in need of a, a, a child care center you have homes but you need centers and has it been promoted has it been working with the community to make sure that they're aware of this tax credit and has been utilized yes and no I think one of the challenges that we have very specifically in this neighborhood is that it's residential it's primarily residential um, commercial spaces are very limited um, the commercial spaces are mostly limited to the mission, um, which is more the Excelsior um, outer mm -hmm. mission, um, and, and along Ocean 
Avenue. And so once you get closer to the inner side of where Lakeview is, um, there isn't much commercial space other than on um, little spaces. Um, and, and so, but yes, so we're trying to promote, that's why we, we have tried to scour the, every block to see where we could actually um, build childcare space because it, it requires a very specific zoning as well. And I certainly hope that if someone has an approval for capital improvements, like a leaky roof or anything like that, hopefully that the payment is, is timely. We're on it, yes. Sounds good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, I know that, and I'll just end with this, Director Mesquita, and then we can go on to the next uh, department, but I know that last year we had a conversation specifically an RFP that was going out for capacity building for family child care providers, many of whom are, are black-led. Do you want to talk about that for a moment? Yes, so we released, um, well, we've released two RFPs um, specifically to build um, a more diverse, which we have already, um, pipeline of early care and education educators. Um, one of them is to more around what is called field building to support um, organizations who are working with family child care providers um, or who are working with teachers um, directly with a very specific focus on African-American providers. The second RFP that we released um, recently is to build the actual pipeline of educators. And that includes teacher residencies, um, bringing in cohorts um, to go through community college or higher education, um, including incentives um, to be, be able to pay people as they go through school too. Um, so that's the second RFP that's currently live right now um, and we're still um, waiting for the applications. Thank you, appreciate that. I don't know if colleagues um, have any final questions. And, and, and just, just before you leave, the, did you all make public who received the grants that you put out? Like, is that public information? Um, we list them in, on our website, and we, we provide the notice directly first before we put them on the website. Okay. Okay. Um, any other any questions from? Okay. Thank you. We will, we will go on to, I want to I call Ms. Susie Smith back up from HSA. Also appreciate all the department heads and the folks being in person. Thank Hi. you. Thanks, Susie. Um, so you, you talked in your presentation shortly about a, uh, briefly about a pop-up. I know that that pop-up was not necessarily continued because it was on the corner there next to Many and Levy, but just want to give you an opportunity to speak specifically about continued uh, food insecurity and support. I know we did a lot of work, community did a lot of work with IT Bookman uh, delivering food to seniors in need. Uh, what, what is ongoing effort in All My Lakeview with regard to food insecurity support? Yeah, well, as, as you know, Supervisor, our, our food support budget is, um, you know, it's not baselined. It's annual. It's every year, you know, we're, we come back for the food support. And so we, you will know on June 1st, you know, what's in the budget in terms of next year. Um, obviously, I can't, I can't reveal anything right now about that, but we understand the need, and you know we've been um, in the, close coordination you, you can, you, with the mayor's can, office on, on the you, need. You can use the crystal ball, and <laughs> you can 
talk about it in broad strokes. There will be some food there. there will, we will be continuing food support in some capacity next fiscal year, which I'm, which I'm glad. For all my Lakeview? We have to re-RFP um, our neighborhood-based programs because we've been extending them um, in fits and starts as funding has become available over the next few years. So we haven't actually re-RFP'd our neighborhood-based programming in a number of years. So we'll be re-RFPing. And I understand that there was a significant amount of support that came from the federal government as it pertained to food insecurity, which now has been diminished significantly because the thought is that folks have transitioned back to work. And what, but a lot of that food insecurity was uncovered that we did not, we're not aware about. As you know, I mean, we've had these conversations. So, okay, so that, that, was my, that was my main question. Any additional questions, colleagues, for Ms. Smith? Okay. I, I'm sorry, I have, thank you. Thank you. I had one last question for Director I'm sorry. Can, can, I, can I call you back up real quick before I go to the next person? Because we did a site visit with one of the family child care providers recently. Um, it was family child care day or week. And one of the questions came up about um, universal TK because a lot of the support and, and infrastructure is, being, is going to SFUSD. And so the family child care providers in terms of the support that they could use to also do the prep and support and fill that need was, was something that came up. And I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Sure, so um, it's part of the state legislation for universal preschool to be made available to all Californians, um, and that includes every four-year-old living across the state. Um, in San Francisco, the, um, the, it's part of the public education system, and so San Francisco Unified has started offering for actually for several years what's called transitional kindergarten, which is really is preschool for four-year-olds. So regardless of income, it's a public grade, Similar to kindergarten, any four-year-old is eligible to, um, to enroll. Um, because of, because um, it's a rollout plan. Right, um, but they, I guess the question was, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I want to be as specific as I can. They, the understanding was there might not be enough slots just in the unified school district. Correct. And so family child care providers. Correct. And, Community-based providers can provide that support, but there's not a plan and outreach and infrastructure and design ready to support, or at least that was their concern. Okay. And I wanted you to respond specifically to that. We are actually partnering with the Child Care Planning and Advisory Committee and with Children's Council and with Wu Yi and with San Francisco Unified School District and are putting that plan in place right now. It's, um, it's a are, community are the, engagement process. Yes, it's open to No, no, but everyone. are the family child care providers at the table? Yes, that's, that's part I, of the universal I, preschool what, system. That's yes. what I wanted to specifically ask. Yes. Okay. All righty. Thank you. Um, my next is director. Um, oh, there she is. DCYF. Sorry. She was hiding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, no. <laughs> um, so, again, some of the questions we got in advance and talking to folks in the community, specifically on my wanting to understand about the outreach and access uh, in a user-friendly way for the summer program that might be coming up this summer as it pertains to those. I mean, you have partners here 
Youth First, uh, ICY, others, um, IT Bookman, even though it's seniors, there's families there, um, Minion, Minion Levy War, you know, so just want to talk to you, uh, give you an opportunity to talk about that specifically, and is there a plan to better coordinate with Rec and Park as well for, for summer programming, and specifically as it pertains to these providers in, in Oh My Lakeview? Uh, thank you, Supervisor, for the question and for the opportunity to talk about um, our, our key summer efforts called Summer Together. Um, we have, uh, during the pandemic, started this effort of partnership with um, city departments, including the library and um, Rec and Park, as well as with um, our school district and CBO partners and private summer camps. Um, it is an effort that um, over the last several years have served upwards of 25 to 30,000 children in our city. Um, and we are very proud that we are able to um, provide families and young people with a, an opportunity to, to do and engage in all the things that summer can provide, whether a young person wants to um, do, get credits um, for for missed classes during the summer, or they need to um, uh, catch up on some academics like literacy or math, or they want to learn how to dance or draw or um, get out of the city and engage in other types of summer camp opportunities. So we have all of those things available for our San Francisco young people. Um, for anyone who wants to learn more about this, please go to our website, which is www.dc yf.org um, to learn more about the different opportunities that's available. Um, and of course, all of the fantastic CBOs that are in the room are, of course, providing lots and lots of summer programming um, this year. Some are very sports oriented, but all of our summer programs, uh, we are asking them to integrate some type of academics, comp academic components into it because we know that our young people need not only the physical movement and healthy eating, um, but they also need to catch up um, on a lot of that learning loss that happened during the pandemic. Actually, for the last two weeks, our department have been training our nonprofit providers as well as um, other, um, the private sector uh, summer camps and any city employees who are participating in summer um, in our two-week-long summer learning conference um, where we are providing lots of tools and tips and tricks on how to engage young people, how to integrate all that um, science and um, technology and uh, math and enrichment into a summer program so that we can um, really create something that young people uh, want to participate in. Thank you. Appreciate it. I know we've done a lot of work in connecting um, with your department and the work that you've done. So appreciate that. Thank you, Director Sue. Thank you so much. Um, Want to call back up MOHCD? W one of the presenters and commenters talked, uh, heard kind of in general terms about the need for uh, capacity building for local providers and mm. You know, in, ensuring that they have the support and, and ability to expand their services as needed. Mm -hmm. So I just wanted to talk to you. I mean, you did a very good job of zeroing in on 
Lakeview MI wanted to see what capacity building and support programming you're intending for that part of town or let you talk about that. No, I, I, that's a great point. And I think that, um, I think one of the challenges for us just historically working with some um, of our investments in uh, Lakeview OMI have been um, our ability to kind of, to make them competitive, for example, in some procurement, um, you know, situations. So I know in the short term, what we're, I think, trying our best to do is offer more support during that procurement process so that we've had, for example, during our last large RFP, we actually had a number of kind of sort of pre-RFP TA sessions so that people could actually get down to like brass tacks of what it is that we're looking for. Um, I also think that we have tried to incorporate the concepts I think that you've expressed around kind of that the neighborhood equity piece and the racial equity piece much more explicitly so that we can look at it because it's not just like we wouldn't be happy if it turned out that all of the traditionally scored proposals all happen to be in one neighborhood and then we just go that way I think that there's far more that we need to look at um, in that sense uh, so that has proved to be somewhat successful. I, I do think that there are a number of groups that we have supported in the past that for a variety of reasons are no longer in portfolio. For example, Southwest Community Corp, we used to work with them at IT Bookman, um, the old Ingleside Community Center when that was more active. Uh, uh, and I think that during the recent years, for example, Southwest has been part of neighborhood centers together and I think has, that has helped the, uh, the director kind of move up um, uh, and be able to provide that infrastructure. So I guess the short, short answer is we're going to continue to offer these supports in a way to try and keep those organizations um, kind of as stable as possible. I'll give you one example. IT Bookman, I know that they have a whole host of departments that they work with in terms of funding. Mm -hmm. And each individual department that they have to respond to an RFP has a separate process that they have to go through in terms of their accounting, their nonprofit status verification, all of those things, and, and they have built capacity, but additional support would provide them a lot more opportunity to provide services. When I first started as supervisor with Youth First, I mean, they didn't even have a van that worked consistently, and we had to give them additional funding to, I mean, these are the little things that go a long way to building capacity. That's more of what I'm talking about, because as they've been grounded more, they've been able to expand and serve more people, and so that's where I think MOHCD, given its mission, community mm -hmm. development, um, can be really helpful. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, colleagues, any questions? No. Okay. We'll call back up OEWD. Do you want to go first? I'm going to let Supervisor Walton speak first on this. Thank you, uh, Supervisor Safai, and thank you, Director Sofis. Just a clarifying question. When I look at your uh, when I look at your community economic development slide, <clears throat> and just the first line item, the economic vitality incubation hub, you have mentioned that not all the partners are in the OMI, but is that $559,342 figure specific to the OMI? It's specific to that grant agreement, so we have not been able to narrow it down to beyond that, which child care providers are only in the OMI, but we know that a majority of them are 
very concentrated in that community. But we could certainly get back and you know, go back again. And I, I had some of the same questions when we look at the figure because it's a significant investment and happy to get back and see if we can tighten down exactly what percentage of the childcare providers that we're working with through the partner in the OMI. But again, we know that this particular partner is quite, um, quite representative and rooted in this community. So we started sort of with the, with the provider. But yeah, we could definitely get back to you and, and provide a little bit more granularity. Happy to do that. Thank you. Just, just to add on to that point, I think one of the things we saw during COVID, Director, was that when uh, many of our child care providers and operators were trying to apply for support, for small business support, they were denied. And we've had at least three or four larger providers that went out of business during COVID because they lost their population, they couldn't get the PPP loans, yeah. and now some of them are beginning to come back and we're seeing that. But Many of the small family child care providers stood, you know, hung on by a thread. So it would be helpful if when you're thinking about small business support, these are predominantly female run, you know, many of them immigrants. Um, yeah, we, we, could, we couldn't agree yeah. more. I personally couldn't agree more. And I think this is the, the spirit of this particular program is to work collaboratively with other departments, uh, particularly um, early childhood so that as we're working to provide both training opportunities for folks who might want to start a childcare center or who already have one up and operating, those are absolutely small businesses and, and need the same kind of support. And we, we try to think of them as, as really an industry unique to themselves as opposed to just a, a service and community uh, because it really is something that both provides uh, culturally competent service to our youth um, in their own neighborhoods, but it's also a way um, to your point that particularly women um, can really build a business for themselves um, while providing that much needed service in the community. Thank you. Thank you, Director. Appreciate it. No, no further questions. Um, want to call Thank back you. up uh, DPH, and maybe specifically we didn't have her present, but uh, Director of Children, Youth, and Family Systems for Behavioral Health. She's here. Oh, is she not here? Hi, no, Supervisor Oh, hey. She's on. She's um, on the on the uh, on the call, so she oh, can answer questions remotely. Okay. There we so, go. So we didn't have it as part of the presentation, but um, we have Sherman Elementary. We have Jose Ortega. We have a few schools and and after school programming. Just wanted to give you an opportunity of what kind of services and support are being provided for children in school and, and after school for mental health. Uh, it's a, a big need for Lakeview OMI. So specifically to Sherman, Jose Ortega, and, and, and some of the after school programming in that neighborhood. Um, thank you, Supervisor Safai. Um, I can speak more globally to some of the investments that we have in the school districts. And I know there's about 13 or 14 schools in District 11. Um, I would have to get back to you and, and talk with my team about the specific schools that you're speaking to, but I could talk more globally if that would be helpful. Maybe, I, maybe if you can just have a, give us the follow-up information. We're very, very interested in the schools that are in Lakeview OMI. That would be, that would be better. You can just send that information to our office. Sure, I'd be happy to do that. Thank you. Okay. Um, and then the last one, we'll call up City Librarian uh, Lambert. Thank you. 
Um, we had a little pre-meeting, uh, Director, appreciate it. Um, I think that you have shown commitment to this neighborhood, um, but I, I do wanna just say I think the conversation has gotten off track, um, and I've expressed that to you specifically because we have gone through a long process for the seating and positioning of a library in Lakeview MI, and I know you know the history. We have the smallest neighborhood library in the entire city. Um, there was a decision made not to renovate that library, but to look for a new location. You and I helped to find that together. We went down to Brotherhood Way. We had Public Works do a, an in-depth analysis on that site. Uh, they gave us uh, multiple locations and they came back with the site that was selected on Orizaba and Brotherhood Way. Um, there's monies allocated. Um, DPW said that that was the right site. SFMTA said, although there are uh, Vision Zero challenges and pedestrian safety challenges, they are committed to making those improvements both short and long term, even looking at a larger vision for Brotherhood Way about maybe reconfiguring some of the streets. Uh, but now um, your commission will talk tomorrow and we've heard from the community and from you that you're still looking for the right location and it's caused a lot of concern and confusion in the community and that's what we heard in that pre-meeting. Just want to give you an opportunity to talk about that specifically uh, because it's a significant historical commitment to Lakeview OMI. It's something that the community's asked for and demanded for for a long time. And so just want to give you an opportunity to clear the record. Thank you for the question, Supervisor. And I want to begin by thanking all the members of the Board of Supervisors for your renewal of the Library Preservation Fund. Through that renewal, we are able to self-fund our capital projects, including the Ocean View Branch Library Project. I mostly agree with everything you said um, and how you framed the question. However, I would point out that the study that the Public Works Department uh, undertook, it was a study of nine specific parcels of city-owned property. So of those nine parcels of land, it did identify the best possible site amongst those nine. Uh, we have been building the budget for uh, several budget cycles now. This is a top priority for the library as a department. Uh, we currently have $17.5 million allocated for this, this project. Uh, it was originally estimated to cost $47 million. And we do have $15 million budgeted in the FY24 budget. Uh, we have $4.8 million in the out year, FY25, which we'll revisit as part of our two-year budget cycle. So the Library Commission has demonstrated a strong commitment uh, to this project. We're continuing to build the budget. Uh, there has been a lot of community input and feedback regarding the Ocean View Branch Library project. Uh, and I must say that whether it's Library Commission meetings or the cum cumulative community meetings, there is also a lot of concern about the Brotherhood Way site as far as pedestrian safety, speed of traffic, accessibility, parking, public transit. So we are following through with uh, listening and paying attention to the key project considerations that were outlined by the planning department. They issued a preliminary planning assessment. 
they recommended that we do pay close attention to pedestrian safety and traffic. Uh, so we are monitoring some traffic studies that are underway from the SFMTA and also the longer term SFCTA study. Um, the preliminary planning assessment from the planning department had two other recommendations. One was to pay close attention to the Brotherhood Way zero injury uh, network. And they specifically pointed to the SFCTA study, which um, would potentially tee off Brotherhood Way, reclaim part of that roadway for open space, approximately seven acres of green space. In that recommendation, they said we should consider reciting the library more centrally to make neighborhood access easier and to improve access. Uh, the third recommendation that the planning department uh, outlined was that we should consider co-location and joint use. So increasing the level of access, not just to library services, but city services overall in this part of the city. So um, while we continue to build the budget, we are maintaining optionality and we are working with the real estate department to do a formal set, uh, study of the current uh, real estate market. The, the Brotherhood Way site is a strong option, uh, but again, we don't have to make this decision necessarily at this moment. Uh, we're continuing to move the project forward. We do have some uh, design charrettes scheduled, well, we're planning to schedule them for the late summer, early fall, so that we can engage the community about what amenities and services they would like to see in the new library, because that will also impact the eventual design and project budget. Okay. Rather, I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I just want to, I want to state for the record that we had very clear direction, uh, community engagement. I mean, I see folks in the uh, audience nodding their head. There was consensus around the site on Brotherhood Way. Um, SFMTA has sent a letter to both you and me saying that they're, they're not concerned to the point where the traffic should slow the project down. Now we're hearing that you're looking for another site. There is no other site for a 20,000 square foot library in District 11 in Lakeview OMI. There's just not. And this is public land, which means it will be relatively free or free. And so that adds to the cost. The longer you delay on confirming the site, the longer and more expensive the project will be. And this community has been asked to wait a long time for a community, uh, for a library. And so the idea that we're gonna continue to have longer conversations, that we're looking for co-location, all these other things, that's, those are pipe dreams. At the end of the day, uh, we had a commitment to you, from you in the fall, and I have emails and documentation to back it up. I have community members that were a part of that. So the idea that we're shifting away now and delaying a library that could serve the community that's been waiting for a really long time is, in my mind, um, a real disservice to the community. It really and truly is, particularly Lakeview OMI. And so anyway, just wanted to state that for the record. We don't have to delay um, this meeting anymore, belabor the conversation, but I think, I think it, it is, it's, it's foolish, it's a waste of time, and it will just make the cost of this project explode the longer we wait. You have $30 million, um, and community folks have said 
They don't want one in another location. They want a freestanding library. The idea that transportation is an issue, we have the light rail right there a block away. We have pedestrian access. We have the ability to design and parking. We have all of those things on the Brotherhood Way site. So anyway, I don't want to belabor the point, but I think it's important that we move forward with clarity because at some point uh, the community is going to feel like they've been bamboozled. Thank you. Any Chair Chan or Supervisor, oh, Supervisor Walton. Walton? Thank you, Chair Chan. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Director Lambert, I, just as a follow-up to Supervisor Safai's statement, why, if the community is rallied behind a site and the resources are available, and we know that the site is belongs to the city, why would we not be focused on that rather than exhausting resources and time in other areas when? We have a consensus. Thank you for the question, Supervisor Walton. And you know, I don't want to dispute anything that Supervisor has said. However, I would point out there is not consensus in the community on the site. We've had several community meetings. There's been a consistent refrain about the concern about the Brotherhood Way site from some segments of the community. One or two people. One person. You know that's true. One May person. I finish? Yes, please, go ahead. And the library is not delaying the project. The project is on track. It's exactly where it should be. We are proceeding with building the budget. We're proceeding with uh, community engagement later this summer and into the fall. And we can think about the design while we're continuing to build the budget. Uh, we have time to continue to examine options and to be responsive to the recommendations of the planning department and their preliminary uh, planning assessment. Brotherhood Way, that site, uh, will remain under consideration, uh, but we still have a ways to go before we have the full budget in place. I, I just want to say, you know, I've worked with you on, on many things, and. I've always appreciated you, but I hope this is not a case of ignoring black voice uh, because it seems like the black community is coming out strong on this site. And, and, and I just wanna, I wanna add for the record, so as of July of last year, we were proceeding. And I'm gonna read an email, I'm gonna summarize it, but I'm gonna read an email from my office to the city attorney talking about a transfer of land from real estate to, to the, uh, library. It talked about what the process would be. It says, we intend to construct a new Ocean View Library, 100 Orizaba. Here are the preliminary project assessment from planning. The site is currently under the jurisdiction of Public Works, and we would like to transfer that to the San Francisco Public Library. My understanding is that requires an ordinance of the Board of Supervisors. Can you advise? From Director Lambert, thank you for initiating this inquiry. As an additional background, I recently met with Director Short, Director of, of Real Estate Penick, to discuss the property transfer at 100 Orizaba. Public Works is researching what they've done in the past for an interdepartmental transfer of city-owned property. So as of July of last year, we were on track for this site, and you were 100% on board. I just want to state that for the record. The community was engaged. The community knew what they were intended to get. Everyone was on, on board for this site. Now all of a sudden we're spending and we're wasting time looking for a new location 
and the community is being left hanging. And, and as Supervisor Walton said, a community that has been, had a lot of broken promises. Thank you. Uh, Chair Chen, I don't have anything else to, to say on this matter. Thank you, Supervisor Safai, and uh, thank you, City Librarian Lambert, um, for being here. And of course, thank you, all the City Department, uh, department head and staff for being here. Um, with that, um, what is your will, Supervisor Safai, with this hearing? Thank you. We can file it. And again, I appreciate colleagues and department staff for being here um, for this time. Would you like to make the motion? I'll make a motion to file this hearing. Second. Second by Supervisor Walton and Mr. Clerk, please call the roll. And on that motion by Member Safai, seconded by Member Walton, that this hearing be heard and filed. Vice Chair Mandelman. Mandelman absent. Member Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Ronan. Ronan, aye. Member Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. We have four ayes with Vice Chair Mandelman absent. Thank you. The motion passes. And Mr. Clerk, do we have any other business before us today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes our business. Thank you. The meeting is adjourned.